better. Sorry about that. See, man, messing up. And uh, Joshua 24, Joshua 24. And today uh, we're going to come to a conclusion of this series in Joshua in the Strong and Courageous series. And, uh, and really it's uh, in, I believe, in the Lord's you know, hand and his providence. Let me also just add my words of congratulations to the Mays family. Uh, Joe sent me a, a picture of their precious new little baby. And, uh, and so I know you're praying for the Mays family and they're very excited for them. And the Lord indeed does bless us with the blessing of new life. Couldn't help but was Marty was, was praying for them. I know it's a, you know, kind of a, a whole, whole new experience for him and his wife as their new grandparents. So the Lord has just been so good to our fellowship uh, here in, in these days to bless us with these little ones. Amen. And so I know you'll pray for the Mays family. And as I said, do be also keeping in prayer uh, our mission team serving overseas and our great homecoming night tomorrow night. In Joshua 24, Joshua 24. Now, when we come here to this passage of Scripture, this is the culmination, really, of Joshua's life. These are really his, his final words, his last words, if you will, to these people whom he had walked with, whom he had lived with, who he had served with, and who later on in his life he had actually been called to, to attempt to lead them and guide them, and they had experienced so many victories. They'd had a few failures along the ways, but they'd had many victories. And now we come to Joshua chapter 24. And today I want to walk you through this chapter because I think we find here some great insights, some final challenges from Joshua to his people, but also to us. Because remember that, <coughs> excuse me, that Joshua in many ways is a reminder to us of our Joshua. The Lord Jesus, he is our Joshua. And, and the Lord Jesus has some words for us. And Joshua teaches us much about our walk with the Lord, how to be victorious in the Christian life as we hear these famous last words. You know, oftentimes, especially when there's a person is a historical figure or a famous figure, they will, they, people will gather around. They'll want to record for history's purposes their famous or final last words. Let me just kind of share with you a few from history of some famous last words before we look at Joshua's famous last words. Uh, here's what John Adams, John Adams, the second president of the United States, he died on July 4th, 1826. Now that's the same day that Thomas Jefferson died, all right? But they were political rivals. And, and John Adams' words became very famous because this is what he said. He said this, quote, Thomas Jefferson still survives. And in his mind, it was kind of like this. Thomas Jefferson beat me in my political life, and now he's even beating me in my earthly life. John Quincy Adams, the son of John Adams, this is what he said. And this is a, these, these are some great final last words. This is the last of earth, and here's what he said. I am content. I am content. Joseph Addison, a writer who died in 1719, he said, See in what peace a Christian can die. See in what peace a Christian can die. 
And then you kind of uh, compare it to this. The, one of the famous uh, owners of the, of, the, of, the, of, of the Barnum and Bailey Circus, P.T. Barnum, this is what he said. How were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? That was his last words. How were the receipts today? Like, who cares, right? Ludwig van Beethoven, the famous composer. Friends applaud. The comedy is finished. I guess he thought his life was kind of a, a laugh. And then famously, you know what Julius Caesar said, A to Brute, as he was assassinated. Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. And he slipped into a coma, they say. My God, what's happened? That's what Diana, Princess of Wales, said when she was killed in that traffic accident, August 31st, 1997. Thomas Edison It is very beautiful over there. Benjamin Franklin, a dying man can do nothing easy. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, U.S. president, died in 1945. I have a terrific headache. (laughs) I have a terrific, he would die of a cerebral hemorrhage later that day. Famous last words. But the reality is, as I read you those words that many people have recorded and and, and they're there for history. These last words, although they're famous, they really don't do you and me any eternal lasting good, uh, so to speak. And what you find in Joshua's last words is you find some, some tremendous words of challenge that we ought to take note of. And it's interesting because the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua actually begins with a funeral. Remember that? When we studied Joshua chapter 1, it began with a funeral. It began with a funeral of Moses. And now Joshua, the book of Joshua is going to end with a funeral of Joshua. So let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you'll help us to listen and to learn from these last words of Joshua. Words for us today, final words of challenge as we've been taught to be strong and courageous. And Lord, I pray that as individuals and as a church family, we will take to heart these final words from Joshua and apply them to our lives, Lord. Pray, Lord, the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you just to jot these down on a piece of paper or on your phone or, or in the margins of your Bible and the flyleaf of your Bible because these are very important. And in some respects, these famous last words of Joshua somewhat summarize what the whole book teaches us. And really for for us, in our own Christian life, these challenges can serve as a great reminder to us individually, but also to this church. I think about where our church is in this historic moment. Lord, what would would you say to us as as we prepare ourselves for a new season of ministry? I mean, consider this. I mean, we have... We've been asking for the Lord's provision. We've been seeking the Lord. Our pastor search team has been asking and seeking the Lord, and they've been knocking on different doors, and it appears to them, and they are prayerfully and excitedly and even tearfully have revealed to us that they believe that God has led them to the man that he would have to be the next pastor of this church. I think about how tomorrow night, Pastor Jeff Ginn will come and he'll preach tomorrow night for us. And he will encourage us to remember what God has done in the life of this fellowship. A dear brother who invested 
some critical years of his life and his family life here in this community and in the life of this church. I think about Pastor Yule, and I think about the foundation and, and, and the decades of ministry that he invested here and how so many of you have shared with me testimonies of how he's touched your life. Maybe the Lord's brought you here more recently, for instance, and I think about how, how pastors in other places have worked in your life. I think about how different Sunday school teachers, I think about the lady, for instance, who challenged me as a fifth grader to learn the books of the Bible. And she kind of had to bribe us a little bit, and I don't even know why I wanted her to bribe me in this way because I hate roller skating, but the deal was this, was if you memorize the books of the Bible, we'll take you to a restaurant with the class, and the class will go roller skating. And it was a, I memorized the books of the Bible, but I did not have a you know, I didn't have a very good time roller skating, and I still don't today. I don't, you know, I don't like to be on wheels like that on my shoes and stuff like that. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But the reality is I remember the investment she had in my life and how she taught me that we're to love the Word of God. I think about Mr. Keller, who's now with the Lord, had the privilege of preaching his wife's funeral and then his funeral. This hardened Navy veteran had served in World War II in the Korea conflict. In the, in, 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 in the Vietnam War, he was on the forest stall when it had that horrible fire on board the ship. And, and I think about how the Lord gloriously saved him and how he ended up becoming a Sunday school teacher in our church where I grew up and how he taught us and challenged us and, and with God's word and his seniors in high school, how he would get in our face and he, would, and he wanted us to own our faith. I think about how, how he imparted God's truth to us. And in the life of this church, I think about how God has seen us through different seasons. And sometimes we don't exactly know all the details of what tomorrow holds. That's why it's so important for us to have ourselves very, very grounded. And I think that's what Joshua wanted for the people whom he called his family. That's what he wanted for his nation. That's what he wanted for these tribes. He wanted in those, in those last few moments of his earthly life, he wanted to, to try to communicate to them, listen, listen, if you can't remember anything else I've told you, here's, let me just boil it down for you. I mean, I think about how critical it is at the end of a person's life. I, I can't even begin to imagine if I thought I just had another minute left. What, 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 what would I say to my children? What would I say to my wife? I love you. Um, the Lord reigns. The Lord is good. Thank you for blessing my life. I think about how this past year, with my father-in-law passing away, and it all happened so fast, and sometimes it's still a, it still seems like it, it didn't happen. And even our, 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 our youngest one, the other day, she, she, our little eight-year-old, she. We were talking about grandma coming over to have dinner with us. And, and, and later that day she said, when are grandpa and grandma coming over? Because <laughs> it still seems like, you know, he, he ought to be coming too. And I can remember how I'm so thankful that on that evening when my wife had planned to come back home. Because she had stayed several nights there with, with her mother and father helping with her dad. How, how she called me late that night. She said, she said, I just, I just think the Lord wants me to stay here tonight. Just one more night, I'll come back in the morning, and then I'll be home for a few days to kind of get back there with our kids and to have a little bit of a respite. She called me that night. She said, she, I just feel like I need to stay this night. Later on, in the middle of the night, she called me, and she said, I'm so glad I was here. She said, because um, 
dad, dad passed away in the night. But she got to be there to see his last and final look into her eyes, to see her mom and her dad's last moments together, to hear those final few words, even though they were so faint. They're very precious. And I can't imagine what it must have been like for these folks as they had, these are the folks that they had followed Joshua's teaching and his leadership and his commands and they had seen Jericho's walls fall. Joshua had had seen them through and helped to shepherd them through when they had had the horrible sin at, at Ai. And now they know the time is near. And Joshua says, here, I want you to all draw close and hear me here. So that's why these are so important. So just, just jot these down. Here's the first one. I want, you, I want you to get this one. Here it is. Remember, number one, remember what God has done for you. And that's so true for each and every one of us. We need to remember what God has done for us. Because there are moments in our lives when we can begin to feel and think that we're God forsaken. God, where are you in my life? God, what have you done? And we begin to have this pity party. And we begin to think that, 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 that our life has, has never had any blessings in it. And how foolish that is. We need to, number one, always remember what God has done for you. Just, just look at the scripture. Let me just read. I'm going to read through a lot of scripture. So follow along with me. Joshua 24, verse 1. Then Joshua, he gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they represented, and they presented themselves before God, and they're representing the people. And in verse 2, it says, Joshua said to all the people, Thus, thus says the Lord God of Israel. And for the next several verses, everything he says He's going to be quoting to them what God has told him to tell them. And loved ones, listen, we ought to always take note and underline whenever you see and read and hear the phrase, thus saith the Lord. It's one of the things that, that I love about the Reverend Billy Graham, even though he's, 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 he's getting so close, it seems, to his reward. Mr. Graham, when he preaches so often... Would always, he was always quoting scripture. Always reading scripture. And, and listen, listen, listen here to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. And here it is. Here's what God says to remind them about. Remind them about this. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, they dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham. You know the song Father Abraham? We can teach that to preschoolers. I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and I led him throughout all the land of Canaan and, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Verse 4 to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron. You see, he's taking them. God is reminding them how after generation after generation, year after year, decade after decade, how God had taken care of them. He says, I sent Moses and I sent Aaron. And I plagued Egypt. Ten plagues were sent upon Egypt before Pharaoh. Before Pharaoh would have his attention gotten by God. 
And then look, look at the end of verse 5. Afterward, I brought you out. Verse 6, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. They were in slavery. And loved ones, there's a parallel there for us because each and every one of us, we were enslaved to our sins. And the Bible says our lustful passions and our sin nature. And listen to what God has done for us. Never forget what God has done for you. For us, God has rescued us and pulled us out of the slavery to our sins. Then he says, it says this in verse 6, The Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea upon them, and he covered them. He works this amazing miracle. You know, sometimes in churches, we can, we can begin to forget the miracles that God has done in our midst. And sometimes the reason that we can't really think of any miracles that God has done in our midst is because we're really not in any kind of battle that requires God to do anything miraculous. Why would God waste his miracles on us? Why would God waste his strength on us if we're not even going to come up to the sea and attempt to cross it? He says they cried out to the Lord. Verse 8, I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Verse 9, then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam, therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan, and you came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho, they fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gagarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I, listen, I delivered them into your hand. Then he gives this kind of strange metaphor. He says, I sent the hornet, hornet, before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. In the Bible, oftentimes, bees or, or hornets are used to illustrate. They're a metaphor for some type of a conquering army. And the point here is that God says, listen, listen, I was winning battles for you. Don't ever forget it. It was my strength. Verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them and you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. And isn't that so true in our own Christian lives? There is so much that I benefit from in my own life as a husband, as a father, as a, as a human being. Listen, I'm really not responsible for it. It's really not my own doing. And that's, that's something that, especially men, we have to come to terms with. We can want to be the this, this self-made man. I've got this on my own. I mean, what man doesn't want to be the hero to his wife and his children? But the reality is this, is I need for my family what I can't build on my own. I need what only God can build for my family. And that's what God reminds these people of. He says, remember what I've done for you. I've given you blessings that you didn't deserve. I've built things in your life that you've enjoyed that you couldn't have done on your own. So here's the first thing. Here's the first challenge. First of the famous last words of Joshua, mark it down, church. Remember what God has done for you. I mean, over and over again in these verses, 
the phrase, the Lord God of Israel, it is used 15 times in the book of Joshua. He refers to the Lord 20 times just in this one chapter. You can go through and just underline or highlight the number of times the pronoun I is used for the Lord as he's speaking. I counted like 17 times in my translation. The Lord here is saying, listen, listen, I want you to, I know it seems that, that Joshua is not going to be with you any longer. But as important as Joshua is, here's what's most important. It's me, the Lord God. I'm your Lord. I'm your God. Remember what I've done for you. Joshua was just a tool in my hand. And that's a, and, and, and that's, and that's a big picture point for us to remember, church. In our individual lives, in, this, in the life of this church, we, we must remember this. Keep in mind that we are blessed in different seasons of our lives with different people that God brings across our path. But in the end, what's most important is remember what God has done for you. The Lord your God. Because evidently what's gonna happen here in a few pages, if you were to go on and we were just to go start preaching through the book of Judges, which is right after here, what, 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 we, what you would see here is, a, is it doesn't take long for these people to seem to forsake God. And a generation comes along that seems to not remember what God has done. You want to know why? When I was pastoring, there was actually a Sunday. It was in the summer. That I got up, and we had three worship services in the morning. And I got up there at the beginning of the worship services, and I said, uh, look, I'm here today. I want you to know I'm here but I'm not gonna be in here. Somebody else can do this today. I had somebody else lined up to preach. And the first service, I think I worked the parking lot. I can't remember what I did the second service, but I sure remember what I did the third service because I worked two-year-olds. And by about 11.50, I wanted to know why that preacher could not finish up what he needed to say. Because if you can't get it said in a certain amount of time, come on. Because what was happening is, I'm not kidding you, it appeared that these two-year-olds had begun to organize themselves into some type of a mini militia. And they were hoarding Cheerios. And I think one of them had constructed some type of a contraption that could shoot them at me. And, and a couple of them, uh, they had diapers that were prepared, and, and, and they were beginning to corner me. And I remember I looked out the door and I said, hey, hey, you, because the guy preaching, he, you know, I was senior pastor, he was one of these, I said, you tell him that he needs to land that plane, all right? Because these two-year-olds are just about to take over, all right? But I think about what I wanted the church to know is, is listen, those two-year-olds, they are so important. And it may simply be this, that they know that this book is important to mom and dad and to other people. It may simply be, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And upon that, all of a sudden, you end up with these 18-year-olds that were standing before us the other month, and that now, you know, many of them are, they're off somewhere else. And what are they doing this morning? We, listen, listen, you have an opportunity to invest 
in future generations. And don't you ever, ever think that that's not important. And people say, well, I did my time. I did my time when my kids were little. Listen, I praise the Lord that you did. But listen, just because some of you are older and you've kind of been there, done that, listen, don't think, don't think God can't use you in that way because listen, I'm just telling you how it is now and you probably already know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But there, there, there's a generation out there right now, they, they, they never see their grandparents. Very seldom. Some will never meet them. And by the way, here's, here's even where you get, remember when you, when you get your teenagers, here's kind of where we are, is right now it becomes critically important in my life for my teenage son and daughter to hear other adults tell them that what I've been telling them is true. And God can use you in that way. These kids, they watch you. They watch how you, they, they watch you in the hallway. They, they watch you, they, they watch you as you're in this place, they they. They may wait on you at Olive Garden. They might bump into you at Walmart. You don't know who they are because your kids are grown. But they recognize you from church because you give them the bulletin or you pray over the offering or you sing in a choir or something like that. I'm just telling you, listen, listen. We need to remember what God has done for us and we need to tell future generations what God has done. So that's number one. Number two, get this. Get this. This is very, very important. Number two. Resolve to serve only God. Reserve to serve only God. This is perhaps one of the most famous verses you come to in Joshua that I'm getting ready to read here. Look at verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And here's the famous verse. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves to say whom you'll serve. Whether, whether the gods which your which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you'll dwell. And here it is. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He had made a resolution. He had resolved to serve only God. One of the key words in this section, it's used 15 times, is the word serve. And that's the same word that you could use to refer to a person who's working in our armed forces. It's that type of service. It's, it's, when, when he says, I'm serving, he, this was a military man. He just would salute his commander and say, yes, sir. But so often what we want to do is we want to negotiate with our commander in chief. So really, number one, it comes down to a decision. You're going to resolve to serve the Lord only. You've got to make a decision. He had, he had made a choice. There could be no neutrality when it came to serving God. Joshua knew that everybody was going to worship something or someone. And he says, listen, you got to nail this down. Because these folks had been around all kinds of false gods. M- remember, many of them, they, they had heard about Egypt. Now they come into a land where there were just idols and false gods all over the place. And isn't that, isn't that a, lot, a lot like what it is for us today? I mean, we live in a land that's littered with false gods and false idols. We're going to have to make a decision, and that's resolving to serve only God. And it's a decision, and it's also devotion. Devotion. He says in verse, it says in verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you can't serve the Lord, for he is holy God. He's a jealous God. He'll not forgive you your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he's done you good. And, and, and this is what they say. They say, no, 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 listen, we're going to serve him. No, we will serve the Lord. They have to repeat that several times for Joshua, I think, to really be convinced. Because remember a couple generations before 
when Moses was the leader in Exodus, the Lord had done great wonders in their work. And what did they do? They get all their, their jewelry and their valuables together and they, and they melt it down and they make a what? A golden calf. Can you believe that? But isn't it so easy for us? We must, number two, resolve to serve only God. It's a decision. It's devotion. See, the picture in the Bible, here's a good metaphor I want you to get today. The picture in the Bible is Israel, it's like Israel is married to God. And the Bible says that God is a jealous God. It's the picture of how God is jealous over Israel, just like I'm jealous over my wife. You see, we have a special relationship. We have a sacred covenant with each other. That's what our marriage is. And and the picture in the Bible, and the pictures carried over in the New Testament with the church being the bride of Christ, is the idea that we, that we are to have that same type of loyalty and devotion. Listen, when you walk, when a person walks the aisle of this beautiful worship center, and she gives, she comes, and the, and, 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 and the man comes and he joins her, and the pastor stands here, and they exchange those vows. That is a marriage covenant. And the picture in the Bible is this, just like that husband and wife should be jealous over each other and, and should be devoted to one another. That's the picture that we get in the Bible of how the Lord God is. He's jealous over us. He loves you like that. He does not want you to prostitute yourself or cheapen yourself to some other false God, some other fly-by-night idol. He wants you. He gave himself for you. That's why we resolve to serve only the Lord. And then it comes down to this. Remember what God has done. Resolve to serve only God. And then thirdly, renew your covenant with God. Renew your covenant with God. Maybe you need to do that today. Where do I get that? Verse 26, then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness to us for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart each to his own inheritance. It was, he, he comes up with this big stone and this was the ninth memorial they were gonna have that you read about in the book of Joshua, the ninth memorial. The other week when Pastor Steve was preaching here, he had those stones, there's still some of them over there he was teaching about when they did the stones there in the river, you know? Well, this is the last memorial that's given. And it's to remind them that their covenant is, is with the Lord God. That they, that they have said they're gonna worship and serve the Lord God. And they do this to remind themselves. Now listen, there's a warning here. There's a warning here. It's good to remember what the Lord did and how he responded, but listen, You can't live in the past. That's not what this is about. There's nothing unbiblical about God's people memorializing and wanting to remember a wonderful event or a sacred decision. So long as the memorial doesn't become the focus of idolatrous worship, all right? I don't want you to, I want you to understand what's being taught here. It's okay to have memorials. You just got to remember what the memorial's about. And, and, and you say, well, wh- why do you even have folks come forward to make a commitment to Christ? Or even here in a few moments, I'm going to invite you. We're going to have time. We have time. I'm watching the clock there. We're going to have a few extra moments today. I'm going to give you an opportunity today. 
to stand where you are in a few moments. Some of you may just want to come down here and kneel. I know some of you saying, Brian, look, I, I've, I've got, it's hard for me to kneel down and get up. And this and if you want to, you can just come and stand here. If, if, you're, if that makes you too distracted, then you don't have to do that. I'm telling you, there is something, though, about doing something visible like they did with this stone that seems to kind of get in our memory. It's one of the reasons that we baptize like that. It's kind of hard to get over being dunked in water with your clothes on, okay? I mean, it's just, you kind of remember that. You remember your baptism. It's meant to remind you. So when the evil one says, oh, you didn't really do that. So yes, I did. I actually got into a baptistry. Now, my, my oldest daughter, we, we baptized her in a swimming pool because we were meeting in a school. And we, and, but you know what? It was a sacred moment. We took pictures of it. We remember, we actually will, I have on my calendar when my children were baptized. That didn't save them, but it's a, remo- it's a memorial. And we remind them of that in case there's ever moments when they think, I didn't really do that. Oh, yes, you did. And maybe for us in this moment in our church's history, it's time for us to say, I'm renewing my covenant that God is my Lord, that Jesus is the head of this church, and that I can be filled with his Holy Spirit. Because that's what Jesus' final words were. Remember his final words? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He, he, he reminded his disciples that he would not leave them nor forsake them. Behold, and lo, I'm with you always until the end of the age. And remember, the last words of Jesus recorded in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, last chapter of the Bible, he says, and lo, I am coming quickly. So maybe, maybe today you don't, you don't want to leave here before you just have said, Lord, I'm going to remember what you've done. I'm going to resolve to serve you, and I'm renewing my covenant with you because I've heard your, I've heard your last words to me. You want us to make disciples. You're with us. Your peace is with me. The power of God is with us through the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, you're coming again soon. So I want to ask you to stand to your feet right now, all, all around this room. Just stand to your feet for a few moments. Just bow your heads respectfully, if you would. And, and you can come on up, and let's just kind of play the song for a moment in the background before we do any words. And at some point, we might just have Andy sing, sing because it might be good for you today to not sing, but to actually just think about this. Sometimes even... When we sing a last song at church, we can kind of sing it past to Andy, and it almost just kind of helps us to just kind of put away what God might be wanting to, us to do. The, guys, men and women, this is a, I want to ask you to embrace this moment. The next few weeks are going to be critical for this dear church family. We've been on a journey together. I think God is preparing us for some great days. Tomorrow night's going to be another night for us to come together and to seek his face and for us to walk away unified, ready for battle. But we need to hear Joshua today. Remembering what he's done. Resolving to serve him. And renewing our covenant with him. So Lord, I pray right now all across this room, you'll just help folks to seal these decisions in their lives. Lord, thank you. Lord, I've, I've grown to love them and appreciate them. I can't even drive by this building anymore without 
new memories and new thanksgivings for what you're doing in their midst. Lord, I'm excited for the future of this church family. And Lord, I'm praying for you to raise up here this generation, Lord. Neighbors and passerbys will say, what is, what is going on there with the Mount Pleasant family? We need to be a part. Jesus, move in our lives here in the next few moments, I pray. Now, all across this room, I just wanna ask you right now, maybe you're just taking a moment to remember what God has done in your life. I want you to do that. Maybe you're making a resolution to serve God. Maybe you're gonna volunteer. You're gonna say, you know what? I, if they need helping hands in preschool, then sign me up. Maybe you just need to start by renewing your covenant with God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So right now across this room, you may just want to come and kneel here on these steps and make this your, your place of remembrance today. You'll come into church next Sunday and you won't look at this place the same anymore. If that's right there where in August of 2015, I renewed my covenant with the Lord. It's right there I remembered what God had done in my life when he saved me from my sins 40 years ago. And I've, I've kind of begun to get over being saved. God, I've not been serving you with gladness. I've been serving you with a bitter spirit. Lord, forgive me. Andy, just sing some of that song for us as we prayerfully commit ourselves today.